Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. So here's an episode from our first Friday work sessions, and it's my colleague Lance Satterthwaite, who's talking about the power of being calibrated. And if you've not come across the first Friday work sessions yet, go to humanity.com where you can sign up and join us any first Friday of the month at noon Eastern time for a leadership conversation. Here's Lance. So for many, I'm guessing uh, there's at least a curiosity and maybe even a uh, confusion about the meaning of these words, calibration and semen, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, So before I define them, I just want to frame up a little bit about uh, the presentation. So Humenergy, uh, we share a number of ideas and tools with clients to help them become better leaders. So what I can say is uh, this topic tends to be a a fan favorite uh, for our clients. And I will tell you, uh, for me personally, I hold this one near and dear. I frequently use it uh, in my own life. I really do believe it helps uh, people just not be better leaders, um, but honestly, better human beings. Uh, So I think it allows us to navigate some of the life's more difficult situations, even the challenging people uh, that we have to interact with. And uh, I really do believe it gives greater wisdom, greater confidence, uh, greater grace. So let's jump in and uh, we're gonna define uh, these words. And the first place I'm gonna start uh, is with calibration. And I know in the chat, uh, there was uh, some definitions there uh, that really related probably more to machinery. And I often think, so what happens when a machine is not properly calibrated? And we know things like it's less precise, less accurate, it's even less effective at what it's supposed to do. And I'll just give you the analogy of your car. Uh, So if your alignment on your car is miscalibrated, we may begin to notice that it starts pulling one direction or the other. And initially uh, it may be easy to readjust and keep the car on the road, stay in your lane. But if you don't fix it over time, Um, what we find is it begins to wear down the parts on the car and may even lead to a serious mishap, right? And so one way I would define calibration is actually allowing things uh, to work most effectively, right? It's just a, a fairly simple definition around calibration. So then the question is, well, what happens when people aren't well calibrated? Well, I would offer just like the car, it becomes harder and harder to stay on your intended path. Miscalibrated people begin to wear down and often they're less effective navigating uh, life's challenges. So they tend to do one of two things, either A, uh, they overreact to situations, become emotional, and that damages their relationships, or B, they simply throw their hands up in the air, they give up when they actually had other and more impactful choices available to them. So another way to define calibration then is allowing and matching your thinking, so what's in your head, to the reality of the situation, right? And being really wise and insightful about that. I do believe if people are able to do that, uh, they're far more effective. I think they get a lot more enjoyment out of life. 
the opposite of that uh, being when people are miscalibrated, I really do believe it's like they compound challenges and they find themselves more frustrated, potentially having more anxiety and stress, uh, and maybe even lead uh, to things like feeling hopeless about situations. So I'm going to give an example here and root this into a couple uh, different uh, realities. The first example I always like to give is um, uh, the parent toddler heading out to a public restaurant. And what we know about that is sometimes that goes well and sometimes it uh, has the potential to head off the tracks. So you or your child may be hangry. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, it's in public. There may be wait lists. Um, the server may or may not uh, be up to par, et cetera, right? And so it just presents a series of challenges. And if you've ever been in this situation, if you've ever seen this situation, you may know the miscalibrated parent. So let me introduce uh, that person to you. They tend to start getting upset, and then their upset causes their toddler to become more upset, and it begins to spiral and escalate, right? And eventually you may end up having either a full-blown meltdown uh, and or a crisis on your hand. Right? So that's at the one end, right? Miscalibration at the, it creates emotion. At the other end of it, uh, we, we look at a parent that may absolutely do nothing, right? So they completely check out. And when their toddler starts embodying the spirit of like the Tasmanian devil, and is completely wreaking havoc all over the restaurant, uh, the parent literally sits there and does absolutely nothing about it, right? Uh, and so, again, it happens in both ways. Either miscalibrated, I've overreacted, or miscalibrated, and I'm somewhat frozen and don't do anything. And so hopefully we have also seen or maybe even been the calibrated parent. And who is this person? It's a person that can remain relatively calm, is able to effectively intervene in that situation and allows everybody, right, both at the table as well as the other tables, to eat in relative peace and harmony, right? And so how is it that they did that? How did they get calibrated? And, uh, you know, and again, whether they know it or not, uh, it is the heart of, uh, of calibration. So I think one ways they probably do is uh, maybe even a use of a prayer. So I want to uh, remind people, I'm sure many people have seen the idea of the serenity prayer over the years. And serenity prayer uh, does a couple of things, right? It's grant me the serenity or grant me the peace to accept the things uh, I cannot change, right? The courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I just want to highlight the wisdom to know the difference is calibration, right? Matching your thinking uh, to the reality of the situation. So serenity of prayer does a good job in that it divides essentially the world into two parts. And it says either A, I control it, right? These are the things I can do something about, or B, these are the things that I don't control and just have to accept. And that's a good st uh, first step in calibration. And what I'm going to introduce to you is the concept of SEMA, and I often uh, refer to it as Serenity Prayer 2.0, because I believe rather than just splitting the world into two parts, either I control it or I just have to accept it, I think there's a couple other elements to consider uh, in order to be most impactful. So SEMA is spelled C-I-M-A, right? 
And uh, it starts with the question, in this challenging situation, what is it that I actually do control? The I part of it is in this challenging situation, who or what uh, can I actually influence? The M, the mitigate, what is it that I can do in this situation to reduce the impact or reduce the negative impact? And then the last piece is, what is it that I just truly have to accept, move on, because I, I can't do anything about that. So let's revisit uh, our example. So the control part of things, right? So control is, I think it, therefore it happens. And what we know is that is all about me, right? As the individual in a situation, I only control my thoughts, responses, uh, my attitude, et cetera. So influence, though, begins to look at relationships. And so if we're going to influence in this situation, some parents have a good enough rapport with their, their toddlers or their kids to be able to say something like, please stop doing that. And magically it happens, right, uh, that the, uh, the toddler changes their behavior. For other times, sometimes you got to give the uh, the mom or dad look at the kid, right? Or maybe even the use of consequences like, hey, you keep this up, uh, you're going to bed early, right? Those sort of things. Sometimes parents have the wisdom to distract and maybe they play I spy while the uh, food is uh, waiting arrival, or maybe they uh, start drawing with crayons on that paper placement. But they do different things, right? to influence the outcome and influence the behavior of the toddler. And if that's not working, we hop into a mitigate strategy, right? Reduce the impact. And this is all about preparation and being proactive. And so the wise calibrated parent thinks about this situation and said, well, I expect my kid to behave when I take him out. Sometimes that does happen and sometimes it doesn't happen right? And I don't necessarily control that. I can try and influence it, but let me think a little bit ahead of time. Maybe I need to put some snacks. Uh, I know goldfish crackers, when I raised my kid, they were like the key to a mitigation strategy. Um, so, you know, snacks or toys, uh, they also may just think ahead around which restaurant, what time uh, should we be there? Maybe they even call ahead for reservations. Or nowadays, I think you can even call ahead and order uh, ahead of time, right? So again, it's all about that. Uh, let me be proactive and think about it. The accept part of it is all about the things I cannot control. I can't influence it. I can't really mitigate it. I just have to accept, right? Sometimes my toddler melts down, or sometimes maybe the wait staff is not the best wait staff or uh, busy, et cetera, right? And so what this allows people to do is not put their concentration and their mental energy in areas that they don't and can't do anything about, right? It goes back to, here's something I really do something about. So even in this situation, if all my strategies fail, I know I control when we're going to walk out of the restaurant. If Even if I have to carry my toddler out of the restaurant, I can just call uh, for pizza on the way home, right? I mean, to be able to be prepared and uh, think through those sort of things is really empowering for people. So I want to identify a couple common miscalibrations. 
Uh, so if anybody on screen knows that they are naturally a control freak, anybody uh, uh, raise their hand? Yeah, a couple hand raises there. Um, so this is a really common miscalibration is people end up putting uh, more into the C bucket and a lot less into the other buckets. So they think they have more control than what they do. And what life often uh, teaches them is they really don't. And so those people find the emotional of you know spots of anger, frustration, other heightened emotions, because they wish they could control it and they can't. And so for this person, what they do have to uh, uh, do is do like Elsa, let it go, right? Uh, they have to learn to actually focus on the things that they actually do control themselves, not other people, right? Just themselves. The other common miscalibration is actually a shift over to the A or the accept bucket. And what that often looks or sounds like is somebody saying or feeling like there's nothing I can do in this particular situation, right? So it sounds and it feels uh, victim oriented. In psychology, there's a term of learned helplessness, right? That the person over time almost takes this stance or orientation uh, that they cannot do anything about the outcomes. And so what that person has to do is continue to recognize the choices they have, brainstorm the choices they have, uh, instead of just being a helpless victim of circumstance. The last thing I want to say about the miscalibration is it's the circumstances that either A, you know, uh, we, we care about the most, so we care about the outcome the most. Maybe we care about the people involved the most where we can get most miscalibrated, right? And so it's in those particular instances that I would offer, we have to regularly recalibrate. We constantly have to ask these four questions, sort it out uh, uh, so that we can be most effective and stay on the right path. So I wanna offer then, SEMA is a great tool, not just for helping yourself, uh, but I really do believe it is a great tool for coaching and helping others. And I know many on the screen are responsible for, uh, you know, people may stop by and wanna talk through either their issue or their challenge with you and literally ask the person these four questions uh, to help them get calibrated. So I wanna share just a, a, you know, I use a toddler parent example before. I wanna share a real work example with, uh, with a coachee and myself as we created a SEMA worksheet for them to deal in, in her situation, it was how to manage an employee who was underperforming. And so what she expressed to me was, she was the big C little A miscalibration. She found herself frustrated, her frustration often came out uh, with the employee directly, even so much so that the employee, uh, the underperforming employee, had actually talked with their HR uh, department about how the supervisor was treating her, right? And so she recognized, like, I need to do something uh, different here. And so we created this worksheet. And uh, if I walk through uh, some of this, I really did start with the question in this situation as a supervisor, what is it that you control? And we came up with things like, yes, she controls setting clear expectations, the type of feedback that she delivers to the employee, how she structures meetings, how often uh, her and the employer are gonna meet. One of the things she recognizes, she needs to be a better partner with HR and actually ask them for help and document uh, things better. 
and even the amount of uh, support and resources she provided for her employee to be successful. When we got to the influence, and this was, I would offer a, a breakthrough for this person because the influence is what's the state of the relationship between you and your employee? And it really boiled down to the employee themselves did not trust the supervisor very much. <clears throat> and she had to do some self-reflection, right? Around to what extent am I reliable? To what extent do I really come across as caring uh, towards this person? In what ways am I humble? Uh, in what ways am I honest uh, with the employee, right? And so she recognized if I want to be more influential with this person, I really have to invest in the relationship and build that. Now on the mitigate side to reduce the impact, there was a few things. Obviously um, looking at and evaluating meeting structure, right? And uh, were there clear action registers of like who was expected to do what? and by when so even like notching up like let's put some clear deadlines in place and specific to the deadlines her and her employee talked about uh some concerns around the quality of work and actually put some quote false deadlines and they agreed and said what if you know <laughs> if it's due on friday we put a due date on wednesday and that gives some time to review uh you know what's being delivered etc and so in that way they started actually partnering uh, on the mitigate piece on the accept piece, and, and again, I would offer this was a helpful and breakthrough uh, thing for this person because I think she felt like I own my employee's success. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a bad manager if this person fails. And it's like, you could probably do everything in each of these columns and your employee still may not be successful. Right. And so what she had to recognize, if that's the case, the ball is back in her court. And she'll have to figure out what is the right exit ramp and how in, is her and her team going to manage through being down a person if that happens, right? So what I would say in this particular situation, it significantly helped uh, her reorient. And this is the thing. It reoriented her energies to no longer focus on the employee and why that person was frustrating. It got her really a plan to be able to move forward, right? Equipped with a clear path. Uh, uh, to be able to be more successful. In this situation, it did actually lead to a better outcome. Uh, she was far more effective to have those crucial conversations without a lot of emotion, right? She planned and uh, was able to do that. Uh, she did feel like um, between her and her employee, it moved from a contentious relationship uh, more in towards partnership. And once the employee, uh, and this was one of her surprises. The employee actually loved the structure that uh, she helped create and actually helped the uh, person be more successful in meeting expectations. So the final you know, thought I'm just going to uh, share around getting calibrated in SEMA is it may not actually always lead to the, to the desired outcome, right? Uh, because you don't control that desired outcome. But what it does is it provides you a better peace of mind knowing that you're actually focused on the right things when you navigate uh, life's challenging and circumstances. So by uh, again, I just reiterate, by matching the reality of the situation in your thinking, you actually become the most impactful you can be and you're more effective uh, and you're more resilient. So in summary, the last piece I would share with you is when the going gets tough, the tough get calibrated. So thank you and uh, wish you all the best in staying calibrated.
So that was Lance Satterthwaite on our first Friday work session talking about SEMA and the power of being calibrated. And you can find out more about that. There's been another episode of the podcast uh, that talked about that in some uh, more detail as well. And um, and so you can tune into these and first Friday sessions, either here on the audio version or on our video version on our YouTube site. That's the Humanity YouTube site or Humanity podcast, uh, wherever you podcast. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy. Mm-hmm.